This podcast is lit. If you have low test scores, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but my class ain't one. Hit me! 99 problems, but my class ain't one. If your test scores are low, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but my class ain't one. If you're having lockdown problems, I feel bad for you, son. I've got 99 problems, but poetry isn't one. Welcome to Prospect School's English Department's brand new podcast. It's going to be an English literature panel style podcast, and that's why we've come up with the very catchy title, which we're using from here on in, This Podcast is Lit. And that's exactly what this podcast is going to be. It's going to be about literature, and it's going to be lit. Joining us on today's pod is Miss Ray. Hello, Miss Ray. Hello. Mr. Ackroyd, hello, sir. Hello. And producing for us is Mr. Jew. Hello, sir. Hello. This week, we are talking about the poem which Mr. Ackroyd presented in our live lesson last week, which was Checking Out My History by John A. Gardner. I have to say, sir, I thought you did a smashing job with that live lesson. How did it go from your end? All good? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we had some technical issues with the, with the video, but I think that was to be expected um, by Oh, yeah. Me. A, a, a Yorkshireman <laughs> on using uh, the internet was never going to go yeah. well, wasn't it, to be fair? Um, but, no, I, I enjoyed it. I thought the, re- the response from the students were, was really good. I enjoyed the, um, the communicative aspect of it. Yeah, I think it went all right. And um, Katie... Oh, whoa, whoa, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I think the students know she has a name. I, I think it's all right. Yeah, I've been we're, all, we're only we're only human, Mr. Firkins. We'll we'll let you off the odd mistake. Miss <laughs> <laughs> um, Ray, how did you see the uh, the live lesson from Mr. Ackroyd the other day? I thought it was really impressive. I know Mr. Ackroyd was apprehensive about it because anything to do with technology, Mr. Ackroyd is apprehensive about. But I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was an impressive talk through the poem, and like Mr. Ackroyd said, lots of communication from students, which I think is is always key. It's good. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to see our prospect students getting involved. We had around about 30 students live online typing in their comments and their responses, and I thought they did an absolutely brilliant job. Um, One of the things that we want to talk about today um, is the poem sort of more generally, really. Obviously, during a live lesson, Mr. Ackroyd had the opportunity to talk through some of the things that he wanted to make a, a deal out of. Um, but what we're going to do today is basically just going to have a little bit of a chat about the poem and um, see if we can add anything um, from that live lesson. Uh, Mr. Atkoy, what do you think of this poem then, checking out my history? Where does it stand for you amongst the poems in this particular cluster of power and, co- and conflict? Well, um, it definitely stands out. Um, I'm not saying it's the best poem, but in terms of standing out, uh, it's, it's different from the other poems. The other poems are more formal, if you like, more what we call traditional poetry. This grabs your attention. It's almost as if I would say, what, what would be like to listen to punk punk for the first time or listen to hip hop for the first time blows you away a little bit and what yeah. I really like about it is how it makes poetry accessible to students so, so students can can hear that and think that's poetry I think that's good because sometimes stereotypically they think it's delivered by a white middle class person in a stuffy accent um, and that this is what I like about this poem how accessible it is to everyone demystifies it doesn't it it's not that sort of like you say it's not some oxford university professor uh delivering a poem it's completely different from that miss ray what do you think 
exactly the same. Um, I think it probably is my favourite of the anthology. And it's why I tend to start with this poem, because I just love playing the audio of Agard reading it. He is just so unashamedly confident and just quite emotive and just how angry he is at the beginning of the poem. I think it just really gets across the idea that poetry is essentially about emotions. And Agar does that so incredibly well. Yeah, I must admit, the first time I ever showed um, one of my classes the video of John Agard reading the poem when he's in that school and running around and reading the poem, I sort of had to have a bit of a double take myself. I thought, this yeah. is, is this what I'm supposed to be? This is very unusual. I've, I couldn't work out what I've made of him. I know, Mr. Ackroyd, you saw him in Reading Town Centre once. <laughs> yeah, well, we uh, we do a thing called Poetry Live where we take a group of Year 11 students to the Hexagon um, to watch the actual Power and Conflict poem, poets come on um, and read the poet poems and talk about their poems to a bunch of students um, to help them with the GCSEs. And the first time I was at uh, Prospect, the first year I was teaching, I, I had the privilege of taking them there. And I met them in town. Um, and the students had, got, had looked around town beforehand because they were telling me a story how they were in HMV looking through the aisles in HMV and they saw this weird homeless guy uh, looking through <laughs> and they were, a bit, they were a bit worried about it. Um, and then we went into the Hexagon Centre. We all sat down. And the homeless guy, what they thought were the homeless guy, got up on stage and it was actually John Haygard, the poet, <laughs> um, who wasn't a homeless guy at all, but was John Haygard, somebody who they'd be doing their GCSE on and he delivered the poem. And I thought that was great. Yeah, he is, he is, that, per he is that person in the poem. He's yeah. yeah. <laughs> How fantastically, iconically, just disregarding all, sort of, all sorts of rules and things. And it's just what he does in the poem as well. It's brilliant. Complete maverick, a law unto himself. What do you aspire to be, Mr. Ackroyd? Yeah, yeah, I always like a maverick. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to kick off today's podcast with our poem in a headline. Now, you've probably noticed that we can be quite a competitive bunch in the English department, and there's going to be a competitive element to this podcast, as three panel guests, Miss Ray, Mr. Ackroyd and I, will battle for glory. And points. Producing the podcast is going to be Mr. Jew, or as I have dubbed him, DJ Sounds, and he's going to have his work cut out editing and mixing the rubbish that comes out of my mouth for one. DJ Sounds is going to have the vital role of playing judge, scoring each of our panel's contributions and determining our weekly winner. No pressure there, Mr. Jew. Miss Ray, you first. Um, I've gone quite traditional um, as our first um, having go at this podcast. I've gone for Man Create's Own Identity in Act of Rebellion. In Act of Rebellion? Interesting that you're calling it a rebellion. What made you go with rebellion? Because I think that's exactly what it is. I think he is rebelling against the things that we prioritise in education. I think it's a deliberate act of him saying no, this is not right, no, I don't agree with this, and I'm going to tell you why I don't agree with it. Nice. Mr. Ackroyd, your poem in a headline. Um, well, I've gone quite quite cultural, cultural, something that's in the cultural sphere. Um, you need and I've to say Yeah. <laughs> I've spliced together two, two quotes from Game of Thrones, and I've gone, there is only one thing we say to British history, not today. Identity is coming. Oh, impressive. They're like winter is coming. 
Yeah, and there's only one thing we say to death, to death, not today, is what um, Aria says. Um, and winter is coming, so I've gone Game of Thrones. As somebody who didn't watch Game of Thrones, I appreciate the context you've just given. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many of our students know what you're talking about when it comes to Game of Thrones. I don't know if that's sort of a middle-aged person thing to watch, Mr. Ackroyd. I'm not so oh, sure. No, more than you think, I would, I would say. Okay. I suppose we'll find out, students. Let us know if you've got any idea what Mr. Ackroyd <laughs> was just talking about. That'd be great. Um, well, I have to say, I do think that um, I'm unlikely to be winning poem in a headline because uh, Mr. Ackroyd and Miss Ray have probably done better ones than I have. However, here we go. Who am I? Who are we? We've been robbed of our identity. Was uh, my particular headline. I, I just not bad, Mr. To... Perkins. Give yourself yeah. a disservice there. That was all right. You got a little bit yeah, of ride as well. Well done. How well, yeah, we are talking that? poetry. All weekend, be working on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's not a lot else to do at the moment, is there, with the lockdown, other than write your own poetry? We'll catch up on Game of Thrones, apparently. <laughs> mm, yeah, good point. Yeah, poetry's coming for me this weekend anyway. Um, so, yeah, obviously, a lot of us have talked about identity um, so far. I do think that's the, the crux of this, isn't it? We've got a maverick, a man who doesn't follow the rules, trying to find out who he is as a person and trying to through his own history, trying to find out um, his identity. So I believe that's us done for this particular segment. And we've got um, DJ Sounds, who's going to be telling us how we scored. Hey, good afternoon all. So um, this is a point system we've done out of five. Uh, five being the, the top. One being the worst. Uh, so for Miss Ray's headline, I've given it a four. It was well explained, great links to her own personal response and feelings towards uh, what the message of the poem is. So four out of five. Mr. Ackroyd, I love the linking to Game of Thrones, one of my favourite TV shows, and um, that pop culture link really did it for me. It makes it nice and memorable. That's a five for you there. Oh. And I like the wittiness of Mr. Firkin's. Um, with the rhyme and identity, that's a four for me from that. Can I just double check, Mr. Jew? Did you say witty then? Witty, yeah. Witty, I thought it was something else. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, Mr. Ackroyd is in the lead. What is the most important quote and why? What is the most important quote and why is a segment we have developed so that we can try to pick out uh, a couple of words from the text which are particularly pertinent or important to us and we feel, you know, they deserve to be analysed. So we're going to go to Mr. Ackroyd first. Most important quote and why? Um, yeah, uh, for me, it's the very last line. So I carving out my identity and it's that word, carving. So it's, it's the most important word for me. Um, at the beginning, he's passive. He's having things done to him. At the end, carving's an active verb there. He's being active. He's grabbed the power back from the establishment. He was having it done to him. Now he's doing it himself. And the carving shows um, this kind of sim symbolic of him building back his identity. As you carve something, you build it. It's the very last, met uh, last kind of metaphor in the poem. So it's key, it's in there. And where he doesn't start out whole, 
at the end, he is like a shape that he's created for himself. One of those carving shapes is now whole at the end. And I think it's vital quote that he's put in there. And the reason why I think it's the most important quote and Agard thinks it's the most important quote is it's a very last metaphor he wants us to look at. Okay, strong argument, sir. Strong <laughs> argument indeed. Well, my favourite quote from the poem um, is Dem Tell Me About 1066 and All That. And the reason why I've gone for that particular quote is the disparaging nature of it. To, to pick a seminal moment in the history of the United Kingdom and to, to use a phrase and all that. Yeah, he's completely mocking it, quite frankly. He doesn't consider it important to him. Um, and is making out as if there are far more important things to know about, um, something which really is tearing up the history book, so to speak, and uh, rewriting them. Miss Ray? Um, I went for Dem Tell Me, um, because actually I think that is the poem in, the nutshell, in a nutshell. It is the us and them culture that's being created by the whitewashing of the British education system. He very much feels like it's an us and them situation, and it's the repetition that happens throughout the poem with that and the anger and the emotion that comes through that. And it's such a simple little phrase and a phonetic spelling of it, um, which forces you, if you're reading it out loud, to read it out loud in his accent. It forces you to become a marginalised person. In one word, he does that. And I think that's so powerful. That's why it's my favourite. I have to admit, Mr Ackroyd's um, Caribbean accent that he yes. employed last Thursday was a good example of that. It slipped into the role of being marginalised with remarkable ease, Mr Ackroyd. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, obviously, we, we were marginalised in, in your English department, Mr Firkins. You, uh, you are the establishment. You rule with an iron fist and weigh your subjects. Good, glad to hear it. Hard. <laughs> so, um, DJ Sounds, time for you to give your verdict. Okay, so for this round... Um, I feel as though the weakest one was the 1066 for me. Yeah. It was a, I, I love the explanation. I love the kind of the challenging, the, the kind of establishment and all that. So it's not important, these kind of dates. Um, I'm giving it a four out of five. So it's not terrible, but it's not the best one. Uh, second was carving. Uh, by Mr. Ackroyd. Very nice analysis, great link to the poet, very kind of deep analysis on that single uh, verb carving. You really took it kind of to the next level, thinking about the kind of what it means to the speaker, what it means to the ideas in the poem. But them tell me was the best one, that idea of a um, kind of very much such a nuanced thing, them tell me, them tell me. And that's kind of, I think that's the kind of high level stuff that the students should be picking up on and them tell me and they're kind of feeling the idea that they're, they're kind of distanced by everyone um, and it's very well analysed as well so that's five points for Miss Ray So at the halfway point joint in the lead are Mr Ackroyd and Miss Ray with nine points and dwindling in last in third <laughs> position is me Mr Ferkins um, me and DJ Sounds will be having a conversation at the end of this <laughs> Baby. Our next round is an unscored round, so I get a relief from having my butt kicked from the other two and having DJ Sounds put at me bottom of the league table. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have a little bit of a discussion about structure. It's really important. That's the reason why we're going to make it an unscored round. 
not enough of our students at Prospect School think enough or talk enough about structure when they're analysing poetry. And we're hoping just to model and show you how to do that. And also hope that you will see that it can be quite important as well. I know that when Mr. Ackroyd was teaching this lesson to you live last Thursday, that he was you know, starting to bring up points about structure. Was there anything that came about from that uh, lesson last Thursday, Mr. Ackroyd, that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, no, I mean, I think one good thing was that I, I didn't lead the way on that. I, I gave them the question to begin with, do you notice anything um, about, about structure? And a couple of them did, and one of them talked about there's no punctuation, there's no breaks. And I think that just shows sometimes our students can do it. Some, some reasons in, in essays, sometimes in exams, they get a little bit scared, but our students are good. They, they do know their mm -hmm. stuff. Sometimes they don't have the confidence, and, and that was good because I always tell my students English boils down at its, at its heart. There is more to it, but at its actual core, a couple of things. Notice something and then comment on what you're noticing and why it's there. And if you can do those two things, then you're in business where English is concerned. Um, so that was good that a couple of students picked up on that. Um, you know, and they mentioned no punctuation. Um, he's rebelling, as Miss Ray said earlier on, against the establishment and the way that he's been taught English. He's creating his own identity and he's speaking maybe in his own dialect without punctuation because he doesn't want to repeat what he's been taught um, because what he's been taught uh, hasn't been worth it, really. Um, but I do think it's really important structure and it, it was good for students to, to comment on that. And I want to see a lot more students commenting on structure moving forward. Absolutely. And poetry especially lends itself so well to discussing structure. Of course, it's not just poetry where we would discuss structure. One of the things that I saw some of the students mention on Thursday was the fact that we have a disparity between um, when Agard is describing white history and um, where he employs rhyme, for example. And, um, and then we have the black history where all rhyme schemes are dropped. And it turns to metallic font. Miss Ray, have you got anything to say about that? Um, I think for me, um, the it's all about the lack of punctuation. The same as what Mr. Ackroyd has already said about the rebelling against the rules and that sense of rebellion that goes the entire way through. But it's also very um, akin to like the oral storytellings. And um, those are obviously very important in Agar's culture. And by almost rejecting the representations of rules that happen in the British and English education system, he then replaces it with something that's really important to him and his cultural background. What you fools don't know. What you fools don't know is our final round and DJ Sounds has decreed that this particular <laughs> round is going to be worth double points. And it's going to be worth double points. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, it can all change on a dime. I'm only one point behind as it is, let alone with double points available. So I'm starting to uh, start feeling good about this now. Um, this particular round is called What You Two Fools Don't Know. Um, as an English department, we can be rather competitive at times. We like to not only make a point, we like to rub it in the faces of the people <laughs> that we're making the point to. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing in this particular round. Not only will we be making a point about the poem that we believe none of the other teachers in the department would have thought about, but we're going to do so with our chest stuck out, with a big taunting tone to our voice. And we're going to be suggesting that we're far superior than they are. So that's why we came up with the title, What You Two Fools Don't Know. And to kick us off on this particular round is Miss Ray. 
Now, I'm really glad I'm going first because I am really proud of this. You're going to be impressed. So we've talked um, generally about the poem. We've talked quite a lot about the fact that Agar makes a differentiation between the um, English culture and his own culture. And we've talked a little bit about the fact that um, when he talks about his own culture, that's written in italics. And we've talked about that because then it's meant to be read out loud in a sing-song voice. It then links to those oral storytelling um, traditions. But I think there's something else there, something else there as well. So if you look at an actual italic letter, it's almost like it's bent over. It's almost like it's bent double. And if you think about the emotions of somebody who is bent over, who is bent double, there's somebody that wants to make themselves look smaller, that somebody most wants to make themselves look invisible. And I think there's a link between those two things. I think Agar, when he came to this country, he was made to feel like he had to look invisible. He was made to feel like he had to be small um, by the fact that our entire education system was whitewashed. And actually, that's why he chooses to write in the italics, not just because of the links to the oral storytelling. Good effort. Top waffle. Well very done. good. Very good. I like that. Good waffling. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Pains me to say it. Pains me to say it. I hope DJ Sounds hasn't taken note of the fact that I'm giving that the thumbs up of approval, but that was <laughs> that was good. I'll give you that. But I have to say what you two fools haven't been aware of, you moronic individuals, is there's a quite clear discrepancy here between lightness and darkness in this particular poem. That's something I want to really draw you fools' attention to. Look at the way that when we're looking at black history, John Agar decides to use many words to do with light. We've got two sound, the beacon. You know, not just any type of light. A beacon is the type of light which guides, which sends warnings, which communicates with others, which gives a, a level of gravitas to it. And then when we start looking at Nanny, she's a firewoman. Not again, not talking about just a little lamp that we're turning on here. We're talking about a natural element. We're talking about something with passion. We're talking about something with energy, which burns bright. And that's exactly what these people are to him. And then finally, again, we're not talking about a bedside lamp here. We're talking about a yellow sunrise to the dime. It's like a healing star. All words to do with light all words which put the rest of this rubbish history into darkness around him and shows that this is the true shining down of the truth of his own identity washing over his body like a light source. Mr. Ackroyd. No, very good, Mr. Firkins. One thing I would say is I did mention that in my live lesson last week. We did speak about light and dark and we talked about being in the dark metaphorically being blind and we talked about the light and the beacon but I'm glad you took my idea and you did take it a little bit further there Mr Perkins um, but that, that's good that at least I um, influenced your top waffling thank you all right now for my waffle now I'm not going to apologize for this so you'll have to you'll have to keep up yeah I will go around a bit here I'll bring things back in I'll link things to a wider sphere so pay attention. Now, I'm sure you're, um, you're familiar with the works of Michael Crichton, um, historical novelist, um, who wrote, and I'm sure, um, because as Mr. Firkin said, um, moronic fools, I'm sure you're not fools, and I'm sure you've read the novel Timeline, uh, which is about um, a group of students who've journeyed back to the 14th century to rescue their history professor who ended up uh, sent back there. 
to cut a long story short, it's a, it's a novel about history, about the importance of it, about um, how it changes. Now, there's a quote from that novel that really stands out. And I'll just say the quote now. Someone who doesn't know history doesn't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it is part of the tree. Now, I can't help thinking Agard might have read this novel and seen that quote that potentially inspired him to write this poem. Because for me, in this poem, Agard is that leaf. Remember the quote again. Someone who doesn't know history doesn't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it's part of the tree. So as, as a younger student at uh, the establishment doing things, he didn't know anything about his own history. He was in the blind, in the dark, as I firstly said, and Mr. Firkins followed up on. Um, so now he set out on his journey. Journey, quest, adventure. In the title, we've got checking out me history, his story. So he's setting out on his story. He's the adventurer. He's the leaf now setting out on his journey, on his quest to find that tree. And as he's going along, we see he uses rising metaphors. Now, I think I may have just invented that word rising metaphors, but I think it's good. Where sea far woman, fire woman struggle, hopeful stream, freedom river. He's the leaf moving up the stream. He's the leaf climbing up the mountain. He's the leaf journeying through fire to find his tree until he gets to the end. He's climbed that mountain. He's gone through the fire. He's gone down the hopeful stream and he becomes part of the tree hole at the end. Woo! And just a final bit of analysis that last, that links to the very first thing I said about carving. Normally we carve pieces of wood and lo and behold, that tree finds its way back to a bit of wood at the end and it becomes whole, okay? And I'm sure you two have thought of that, Mr. Firkins and Miss Ray. I'm sure you have. Okay, well, it certainly was a type of waffle there from Mr. Ackroyd, no two ways about it, but to make the distinction between a lovely, delicious, plump Belgian waffle drizzled in the finest maple syrup and the Audi waffle soaked in synthetic syrup, we pass over <laughs> to DJ Sounds with the scores. Oh, that was a lot of waffling there. Um, <laughs> this is a difficult one. So out of 10 uh, is the scoring and it's the most conceptual idea. That kind of makes me think I give the most points. At the bottom, I would have to say Mr. Firkins. I'd heard it before. Like, yeah, I've already thought of this. Yeah, uh, this fool did know that one. <laughs> wasn't, there, wasn't there a quote from Star Wars saying, who's the fool, the fool, or the fool that follows the fool? <laughs> Very timely, Mr. Mr. Perkins is a follower, not a leader, a follower. But definitely uh, well done on kind of following it up and kind of developing it. Uh, but for me, I already knew that one. Um, Miss Ray, I'm oh, sorry, that's four points. Miss Ray, your one, the italicized, so conceptual, such a great idea, and that visual idea kind of be, being suppressed and pushed. Uh, so for that, I did like it given it a seven, very conceptual, um, but yeah, a bit too far for me. And then Mr. Aykroyd's, uh the idea of a timeline, I did not who, know who you were talking about there. Uh, he actually the wrote, um, he wrote, he wrote um, Jurassic Park. Oh, he wrote Michael Jurassic Crichton. Park, okay. Crichton. So 
about the timeline and the leaf and all that. And I love the idea of the context. I love the linking it back into the, the kind of the leaf going back to the tree and then becoming whole again. So for me, that was the top waffle. And for that, I give you nine points. Thank you, wow. Mr. Jim. Well done, Mr. Ackroyd. Very good effort, which means that in today's rankings, we've got a bottom third place, Mr. Ferkins, in second place, runner-up, Miss Ray. And in top spot, the man with the plan, the maverick, Mr. Ackroyd. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Ackroyd, for winning today's podcast. Thank you very much, DJ Sam, for producing and for giving the scores. Thank you very much to Miss Ray for her contributions for finishing second place. Mr. Ackroyd, champion, winner, anything you'd like to say on the way out today? Um, well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, I'll be winning it every week, probably. Um, I won't get bored of that. Hopefully you won't too. And I shall see you on Thursday where we're going to do a live lesson on the poem, London. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.